Well, it is uh, Super Bowl Sunday, is it not? And as I like to say, yep, this is the great, this is the big day, I guess, that, that America gets to worship their great God, football. We are, we're not there yet, so I know people, people are on edge for these predictions. So just hold on, just hold on. I want to give you a quick joke first. A boy asked his father, Dad, how do you win the Super Bowl without cheating? And the father replied, I don't know, son. We're Patriot fans. Oh, oh, oh. Thought you'd enjoy that? All right, all right. I haven't tipped my hand at all, have I? But um, the moment you've been waiting for, you want these fearless predictions, so the Super Bowl predictions, so you don't have to really watch the game. It's like four hours, so I'm going to save you some time here. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. We have to go with the amateur predictions first. All right, so, so here are the amateur predictions. We have J.J.'s jolting prediction. He's got the Eagles at 21, Patriots 28. Ah, I don't know. Maybe not a profit. All right, Jeff's garish prediction of the Eagles 12. Obviously, the man is not well. Patriots 34. Wow, wow. I'll tell you, these guys, what a bunch of cowards. All right, here we go. Uh, Tom's tall prediction. Eagles 20. And the Patriots 31. These are the guys that I have to work with, all right? So you need to pray for them. Now, here is what's going to happen from the great Swami. It's been a while since I've been here. Actually, I've missed the Super Bowl four years, you know, because usually we're in India at this time, actually. So the great Swami is back to tell you what will happen. Here we go. Skip, put it up for him. Patriots will have 20, and the Eagles, 24. Eagles, 24. There you have it. There you have it. The inspired prediction. All right, now that we've gotten that over with, we are going to turn our hearts to the subject of Proverbs. We've been looking in the book of Proverbs, wisdom, and I want to look at the great problem of anger this morning. The great problem of anger. It not only affects our lives negatively, but it also affects our relationships around us. So I've entitled the message this morning, It Was My Anger. It Was My Anger. Lord, I love humor and whatnot, but this is actually a pretty important topic, anger, that we're going to begin this morning. I don't think there's a person in here, including myself, that does not struggle at times with anger and its negative effects. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you will fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, that I will speak your words and not Frank Ray's opinion. Everyone that's here, Lord, you invited to be here. And I ask that you would give them the gift of a soft heart and ears to hear. Because you want us free. You want us victorious over destructive anger, as we're going to look at this for the next several weeks or so. And so I'm just thanking you. I'm thanking you for, I believe, the victory that's going to begin to occur even this morning as we broach the topic of anger. And I'm just thanking you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So are you wise? Or are you a fool? You know, this morning as we talk about anger, we're going to see that oftentimes our anger can make us look quite foolish. And one thing that is crystal clear as I was looking at all the studies on anger the past several weeks, 
One thing is crystal clear is that we Americans overall are angry. For example, NBC, a year ago, they published a survey, and it was entitled American Rage. And one of the interesting statistics was this. Half of all Americans are angrier today than they were a year ago. And according to this survey, white Americans are, angry, are the angriest of them all. Kind of interesting. NBC News went on to say this. The average white American sees the American dream is dead. America's role in the world, not what it used to be. And their life not working out how they thought it would. And they are frustrated. And they are angry. Interestingly enough, the first question on the survey was this. Listen to this. About how often do you hear or read something in the news that makes you angry? The top three answers given were this. 37% said once a day. 31% of Americans said a few times a day. And 20% said once a week. The survey said in total about 88% of Americans are angry at least once a week. Now, I found that a little soft, I don't know about you. I thought they were being a little generous. And then as I thought about it, I realized that they weren't putting in this survey, NBC, they weren't putting in our driving habits. See, that's going to change everything. No, it's interesting. AAA, AAA just came out with their own survey, and I quote, 80% of U.S. drivers expressed significant anger, aggression, or road rage this past year as they were behind the wheel. AAA went on to report this. I love this. 51% of American drivers purposely tailgate. Look around you. Half of you are tailgaters, and you know who you are. 47, I love this. Have you ever done that? 47% yell at other drivers. Have you ever been driving and you see someone just yelling at the windshield? It's kind of interesting. 45% engage in honking to express their annoyance or their anger. 33% make angry gestures, and we know what those gestures are. And 24% of us will actually try and block another vehicle from changing lanes. Do you recognize yourself here? AAA concluded the report by saying this. Far too many drivers are losing themselves in the heat of the moment, lashing out in ways that could turn deadly. One thing is clear. Overall, we Americans are very very angry. So what does wisdom have to say about anger? And that's what I want to begin to look at this morning. King Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 18 this, a hot-tempered, a quick-tempered person starts fights. Someone once said, fire in the heart sends smoke to the head. Think about that. Fire in the heart sends smoke to the head. You see, when we get angry, our brains shut down. And unfortunately, all too often, our mouths begin to move. And that is a very dangerous combination. Think about it. Real wisdom understands that when you are angry, just shut up. That's what he's saying. Real wisdom understands that when you are angry or when I'm very angry, just shut up. Because if you speak when you are angry, you will make the best speech you will ever regret. And I know, that from, I know that from experience. I know that from experience, absolutely. Solomon states in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 17, short-tempered people do foolish things. Have you ever noticed that the word anger is one letter short of danger? 
Some of you need to think about that. Anger is one letter short of danger. Alexander the Great. Skip, can you put up his picture? Most of you had to study him in school at one point. Alexander the Great conquered the world by the age of 30. Yet what few people do not know about Alexander is that as powerful as he was, he could not conquer himself. Cletus was a dear friend of Alexander the Great. In fact, he was one of his top generals. One night, though, Cletus became inebriated. He became drunk. That's a stupid thing to do. And in his inebriation, he made the mistake of ridiculing Alexander in front of his men. Alexander flew into one of his legendary rages. He got off his throne. He quickly grabbed a spear from one of his guards, and he hurled the spear at Cletus. He only intended to scare the drunken general. Sadly, though, for Alexander, his aim was true, and he took the life of his childhood friend. Deep, deep remorse followed Alexander's angry outburst. And overcome with guilt, Alexander tried to take his own life with the very spear that he had killed his dear friend with. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, but his men restrained him, and he was unable to do it. For days, Alexander just lay in his bed, and he was sick. He was sick in his soul. And he cried out continuously for his dear friend Cletus. And he chided himself for his inability to control his anger. Alexander was powerful. Alexander was great. He conquers the world, but yet Alexander couldn't conquer his own anger. You know, it says in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 22, a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. So you're wondering, why do we get angry? Why do we get angry? Have you ever contemplated why you get angry? I have. I've thought about it. And you know, obviously there would be a multiplicity of answers and reasons why we get angry. But, you know, as they have the experts and whoever those experts are. The experts tell us basically that our anger falls under generally one of three categories. I want to look at two of those categories this morning, all right? So we're going to look at two of those categories this morning. The first category is this. Probably the biggest reason why we get angry is because of a blocked goal. The biggest reason we get angry is because of a blocked personal goal. Let me just give you a little quiz here, all right? So here you are, you're at a toll booth. This is, you know, before easy pass and whatnot. And there you're at a toll booth and you're stopped. You're not moving because the car in front of you is talking with the toll booth attendant. So what do you do? Do you, A, become very angry and give them the horn? B, thank God for the wonderful opportunity to practice patience? Or C, praise God that the toll booth attendant and the car driver, they're able to experience the joy of small community. Which is it, A, B, or C? I think we know what the answer is. You know, the truth is, so much of our anger is due to a blocked personal goal. You know, several weeks ago, since we're on Super Bowl Sunday, I had to bring in a Super Bowl football illustration. And several weeks ago, there was actually a miracle in the promised land, Minnesota. 
You probably don't recognize that, but they call it, you can, you can check it out, you can Google it up, it's called The Miracle in Minneapolis. And, and, and the Vikings were down with 10 seconds to go by one point to the New Orleans Saints, and I'm not going to bore you with the details, but they pull the game out miraculously, and they're calling it The Miracle in Minneapolis. Now, if you were you know, a Minnesota Viking fan, you're going, woo, that's pretty exciting, that's pretty good stuff. But what about if you were a New Orleans Saints fan? Skip, can you play the video? Stop! Kyle! Stop! Kyle! Kyle! It's anger, folks. That is anger. Now, now, the question is, why was this New Orleans Saints fan angry? He was angry because his personal goal of the Saints winning the football game was blocked by the Minnesota Vikings, and he became extremely angry about that. And so often, like I said, our anger is over a personal blocked goal and not a goal that God has for us. I want to say that again. So often, our anger is due to a personal blocked goal and not a goal that God has for us. Because you see, if God has a goal for you, it cannot be blocked. Did you know that? The only person that can block it is you. The only person that can block it is me. For example, let's say we have housewives here, all right? Many housewives, you know what their goal is? Their goal is to have a happy, harmonious home. Would you say that's a good goal? I mean, who can mess that up? Well, your husband can. Your kids will, and your dog Fido might even do it. See, that's not a, it's, it's a good desire. See, what we don't understand is we elevate desires to goals. Wrong thing to do. It's one thing to have a desire. You can handle that. It's another thing to elevate a personal, you know, a personal desire to a goal because so many different people can block that goal, and you will be frustrated, and you will become angry. But if you choose to begin to live your life according to God's goals for you, nobody can block them. And I'm going to give you God's three top goals for you, all right? Here we go. God's three top goals for you. You know what his first goal is? To have a relationship with you. Did you know that? The God of the universe, as incredible as this thought is, desires to have a relationship with you. You know, I left uh, last week or the week before, uh, they were fairly certain my mother was going to pass away, and so I went, and I couldn't figure out really why I went, because I had said my goodbyes, quite honestly, a couple times, and I'm saying, but yet I felt like the Lord really wanted me to go, but I didn't want to go, and when I got there, I realized the reason why I went was not for my mother. She's in the Lord's hands. I was there for my two sisters who aren't believers and my brother-in-law who's a radical atheist. And I've made it, you know, <clears throat> I, 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 I've, I, I've made a commitment to God. I said, I'm not opening my mouth because I get in trouble. I got a big mouth and I get in trouble. I said, unless they, I'm not talking about the Lord unless they bring it up. And there we are. We're at the kitchen table. It was Friday night. I'd just come Thursday. And my brother-in-law engaged, I mean, you can't believe, this guy's a radical atheist, surgeon, has MS, very bright guy, grew up Roman Catholic, but he has a lot of hostility about religion. But he brings up the subject, and we begin to talk, I mean, (laughs) you, you, you can't make this stuff up. 
But, you know, he's an atheist. And I go, Mark, I just don't understand how nothing can, can you know, produce something. Because we, we, we talked about, you know, basically science has proven that there's nothing. So we actually began to get into a discussion about nothing and what nothing is. <laughs> you know, the, the, you're wondering, are these two guys intelligent? You got two brain cells firing? But the interesting thing is that all of a sudden the discussion turned towards why we're here. I can't even remember the sequence of events. But we talked about purpose. I said, Mark, so what do you, what do you believe the, your purpose is? This guy is 62 years old. 62 years old. He goes, I don't have a clue. And my favorite line is, so you're telling me you're pointless? I love that. You just look at 62 years old. Pointless. Doesn't know what his purpose is. It's a showstopper question. It really is. And then he asked me, so Frank, do you know what our purpose is? I said, glad you asked. (laughs) He's asking. I'm telling you how it went down. And I said, yes, I can. The whole purpose in life is to love, to learn how to love. Because all that matters in the end is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with people. That's all that matters. That's what you're here for, is to have, first and foremost, a relationship with God. Can you put up Revelation 3.20, Skip? It says this in Revelation 3.20. You got that? Maybe not. There it is. Look, I stand at the door. This is Jesus saying, think about it now. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If Jesus says, you hear my voice and you open the door of your heart, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. See, it's already been settled. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ dies on the cross for your sin and my sin. He bridges the gap between heaven and earth. And he made the decision. He said, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. Do you want to have a relationship with me? See, he doesn't force it. He says, behold, I'm standing right now. I'm knocking on your door of your heart. If you're hearing me, See, this is all the reason why you were born, to have an opportunity to have a relationship, a loving relationship with the creator of the universe and the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, the door was wide open for me to just share that. And if you don't know Jesus, that's the first God goal. And nobody can stop that, by the way. He's knocking. He's pursuing each and every single person. You can count on it when you talk to him out there, whether they acknowledge it or not. He's pursuing them. So the first goal in life that God has for us is, do you have a relationship with him? Do you really, really have a relationship? The second goal is this. The second goal that God has for you is to look like Jesus. Put up Romans 8.29. It says this. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance. He knows each one of us. He knows. Do you know that? He knows you. It's it's, it's an intimate word. It speaks of a sexual relationship between a man and a woman. God knows you. And he chose us to become like his son. You know, I hear people say, Oh, I could never be like Jesus. That's a lie. No, that's a lie. 
His whole goal, the greatest compliment you can give God is to begin after you make the decision to have a relationship with him is to be conformed to his image. Do you know you win? See, this is, it's all lies. It's lies. You don't want to be like Jesus. Your life will be boring. All the fun will be taken out of it. What a bunch of gobbledygook. I tell people the happiest person to ever live on planet Earth was Jesus. Why? Because he's full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Wow, that's the abundant life. How would you like that being released in you? See, that's what Jesus promised. So the more I become like himself, you know, I ask every day, you know what I ask? I say, Lord, Holy Spirit, just chip away anything that doesn't look like Jesus. He goes, really, Frank, you want that? Bam! Consider it all joy, Frank, when you're experiencing that tribulation today. Why? Because he's killing me that doesn't look like Jesus, so the Spirit of God can be released in me. Nobody, you can't stop me. You can't stop me from looking like Jesus. You can try. My wife does. No, I'm just kidding. She's here. That's, that's, that, that was low. That's not true. That was bad. See, it's probably actually the reverse. <laughs> I'm truthful. Thirdly, the third goal God has for you, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Come on. Jesus says, gentlemen, he's speaking to his side, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go, go. You go, guys, and make disciples. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Tell them to publicly identify with me and then teach all the new converts all that I have taught you. And remember, I will be with you always in this endeavor. Nobody can stop me from making disciples. Even in my death, even if you persecute me, it'll probably be the greatest, finest hour I have to make disciples. Nobody can stop you. See, these are wonderful goals. This is what we're to be aiming for. And when you get this, let me tell you, your anger level is going to go way down. <laughs> no, see, your anger level goes. Because these you can accomplish. These goals can be accomplished. All right, let me move quickly to the second. The second reason why we get angry is because we are offended. In fact, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 19.11 this. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. It is said that there are two absolutes in life, death and taxes. I'd like to say there's a third absolute. You will be offended. Somebody will attempt to offend you. You know, a man, uh, he leaves a letter in his neighbor's door. He rings the doorbell, and then he leaves. The neighbor opens the letter up, and he reads, Dear Tom, we have been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music. And when your dog went to the bathroom all over my lawn, you laughed. I could go on, but I'm certainly not one to hold grudges, so I am writing this letter to tell you that your house is on fire. Cordially, Bob. Some of you get it. Some of you just... Wow. 
the truth of the matter, no, no, we, we are offended. I love it. We are offended because of what someone says to us. We are offended because someone says, well, we didn't want to hear, thank you. We are offended because of what someone does to us. We are offended because someone doesn't do what we want them to do. And I'm offended that you're offended. We are just offended. And Solomon says, you know what? He says, if you're wise, if you're smart, you're able to overlook an offense. Have you ever read the scripture where it says, and Jesus was offended? Don't read it, do you? Don't read it. Perhaps this story will help us to understand why true Christians, true followers of Jesus shouldn't be offended, or at least hold on to an offense. There were two friends, and they were walking in the desert one day, and they got into an argument. They got into a fight. And one of the friends slapped the other friend in the face. And the one who got slapped, he was hurt. But he didn't say anything. He stooped down into the sand and he wrote, In the sand today, my best friend slapped me in the face. They kept on walking and they came to an oasis. And there at the oasis, they found some water and they began to swim in it. They began to bathe in it. And the friend who had been slapped began to drown. And his best friend was able to save him. After he recovered from nearly drowning, he wrote on a stone, Today, my best friend saved my life. Now, the friend who had slapped him and saved him, he asked him, and he was somewhat confused, After I hurt you, you wrote in the sand. And now you write on a stone. Why? And the friend replied, When someone hurts us, We should write it down in sand where the winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone where no wind can ever erase it. Now, that is a wise person. That is a very, very smart man. You see, wisdom and wise people know that harboring resentment, holding on to anger can only lead to trouble and foolish words and foolish actions. So I want to just move to the challenge. Like I said, we've just begun the topic of anger. In fact, I want to look at a third category next week. The third category of anger, so we have a black goal, we have we're offended, and the third category is there is a thing called righteous anger, and I want to look at righteous anger, but even righteous anger can be very dangerous, and we're going to see that next week. But what I'd like you to do is to really think about this week. Why are you angry? Every report shows that we are angry. We are angry. And most of us do not take the time to look at why am I angry. And I'm going to tell you by far and away, if you'll look at it and you'll examine your anger, you'll find out that more than likely, most of your anger deals with a black hole. You're frustrated. You're frustrated because your spouse isn't delivered. You're frustrated about your children because they haven't met certain goals. You're frustrated because life hasn't gone the way you thought it ought to go. And we are frustrated and we are angry because our goals are blocked. And I'm going to tell you this morning, the goals are wrong. I don't care what anybody says. I am tired of the preacher saying, God is here to help you achieve your goals, your dreams, and your desires. They're just setting you up for failure. Flat out. The goals that 
God has for you is to have a dynamic relationship with you, to conform you to the image of Jesus so that you can be full of life and the fruit of the Spirit, and for you to do the greatest thing of all. Go be fishers of men. That's purposeful. That's eternal. And make disciples of Jesus. That's achievable. You can instantly begin to be freed up of over 60 to 70% of your anger if you get the right goals. And the second reason why we are generally angry, if you really look at it, is we're offended. We are. You know, we're offended by people. And for whatever reason, we love to hold on to that offense. You ever notice that? Do you know who you're hurting when you hold on to the offense? You, why don't you just go drink some acid? That's all you're doing. You're only hurting yourself. Really. Not the other person. And if you've been offended this morning, and we'll get into it more, let me just help you a little bit, though. If you've been offended this morning, you know what the Bible says to do? That's hard to do. But what I do tell people to do is give it to Jesus. See, we want to hold on to it. That's going to kill you. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. We want to hold on to it. I'm going to ask you, you're, even now, even now you can begin to experience freedom. Take whatever offense and say, Jesus, I'm giving you the offense. You know what happens when you do that? Now you're allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to be unleashed in your life and heal you. And see, when he brings, because people always say, Pastor, I don't get how I forgive. I, I, I don't feel like it. Well, because you're holding on to it. But if you give it to Jesus, the Holy Spirit can begin to heal you. Then you can forgive. And we'll talk about that a little more. So I really want you to begin to look at your anger and really begin to address that because you can begin to experience even freedom now. And we'll look at righteous anger next week. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to begin to discuss a very important topic of anger. It's really ripping up so many people. It's ripping up not only our souls, but it's ripping up our relationships. And as we continue to discuss it, I just ask that as Satan means to destroy us, you mean to set us free. And I pray that through continuing to examine anger, we will be set more and more free of it. And I just ask for this in your precious name. Amen.